on Overthinking It Recap 24. I felt like a good idea at the time, but I'm feeling like pretty sleepy now. <laughs> episode yeah. 1 of 24 took us from tw- 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So we recorded for about an hour, and then we took an hour lunch. We ate on opposite sides of the street. I think Ryan was a little day class A for going to Chipotle, but it's hard to blame him. 24 irony is when you bemoan the impossibility or problematicness of something that you really like value or want to do, and then you like immediately indulge in that thing as if you didn't care about it at all. Oh, you know, we can't torture this guy. Oh, I feel terrible. We'll be just as bad as them. And then they torture him, right? So when Jack Bauer is saying, like, you can't bring back the ones you love, you just did! They're in the car! It's Bowerian irony. And Navid is upset because daughter has not only slept with him, but has been gone for three weeks. Can't believe you made (laughs) out with Derek Yates under the bleachers. I hope there's a whole hour at this, like, Navid writing emo songs. (laughs) 24 actually, in some ways, operates almost as a situation comedy. Yes, yes. (laughs) You know, we've talked a lot about on in writing on overthinking it and um, especially on our recaps of, of community community makes a lot of having this story a, a story circle which is actually not unlike the rogue cycle of <laughs> of kind of someone making a decision and returning having paid some kind of a price Ryan, um, Pete it's Matt wait what well, Matt Matt Rather Matt, editor Matt, in chief what are you doing it? here <laughs> I don't have time to tell you what I'm doing here but there's something important that you have to know <laughs> and it changes Everything. The following takes place between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. So what is it, Matt? What's going to change everything? Ryan! Pete, I I need you to trust me. And I need you to listen very carefully. Copy that? What? Copy that. Okay. Cold brew coffee. What What are you saying? I need you to listen because I don't have a lot of time. Cold brew coffee. It takes out the, the bitterness and the acerbic tang from coffee, and we need to make some right now. It's our only play. Okay, okay, we'll make some. Well, how long does it take? Cold brewing is an artisanal, painstaking process. It'll be done in just under 11 hours. But that's okay, this is only episode 4 of a 24 recap, which means we have 20 more episodes. We'll have it done just in time for a third act kick. Matt, there are only 12 episodes of this season of 24. Yeah, we only have nine left, counting this one. Damn it! All right, I'll do what I can, but you need to buy time. We'll do what we can. Copy that? Copy that. Copy that. And welcome! Wow. With that bold introduction and that... (sighs) It sounds pretty impressive. I think that stuff sounds pretty impressive. I think I might have uh, watched something about it on uh, the Learning Channel at one point, back when it was still the Learning Channel. Oh, I mean, listen, I'm too stressed out to be impressed. I mean, first of all, I I introduced cold brew coffee to the world of overthinking it when I when I wrote a, a Christmas um, a gift guide recommendation for it and I I just assumed that we would have ample cold brew uh, on tap for for the for this day of, of recapping 24 and I mean I'm I'm worried that we're not gonna make it oh I mean <laughs> Ryan, it sounds like Matt's going to be able to accelerate the cold brew brewing process, and maybe he, maybe there's well, some. What if, it, what if it compromises the cold brew? <laughs> there's a lot of things that can right. go wrong here. All right, look, right. I, we've we've been doing this for a while. We're heading into hour four here. I know tempers are starting to fray a little bit, but let's try to hold it together. This real-time recap, the world's first ever real-time recap of a season of 24, has a long way to go. Uh, Almost nine more hours left to go before we're all said and done. So please just, just, just trust me. All right. Are you with me on this? Are you, I need you with me on this. Listen, you know, Pete, because it's you, because you're saying this, Pete, I'm on board. All right, excellent. So that launches us right into the discussion of the fourth episode, 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. I love the names of 24 episodes. I love that they're just the time. It's just lovely and amazing because there are implications about what's happening at a given time of day and all that other wonderful stuff. So this is an episode that is action-packed, full of suspense, probably the best episode so far of the admittedly short season, and I'm really excited to talk about it today. I believe, based on what you said, I think I have an inkling, Ryan, about where you want to start uh, the conversation. And I have a similar place to start because I think that there was a pretty strong – there was a number of different threads and themes that ran through this episode. But the line that I wanted to start with was when uh, when um, Mother – 
I'll call her mother and sister, or mother and daughter, right? right, uh, right when right. when terrorist mother says to terrorist daughter, when terrorist daughter comes to the Margot Margot and Simone Al Harazi. Yes. So when Margot Al Harazi is saying to Simone, says to Simone Al Harazi, "You're trying to find the words to tell me something, mm-hmm. right? Because because uh, uh, Simone has arrived at, at Margot's." presence to rat on Naveed. I mean, we all know that she's ratting on Naveed. There's, like, the possibility that she won't rat on Naveed, which is amazing that they kind of leave that as a little bit of suspense. I credit the music and the uncertain looks on her face and the camera work to even leave that possibility open. But she's there to rat on Naveed to her mom. Yeah, and Uh, we've watched other seasons of 24 enough to know that, like, it's a very small chance that she will... Um, that she will not rat on Naveed. Yes, exactly. And so, and so, what Simone is pausing is that she's trying to say what she has to say to Margot in such a way that Margot will not kill Naveed because she doesn't want Naveed to die, presumably. Right. Um, and so she, but she's just given her pause, and she doesn't really know what tack to take, what strategy, what tactic to use, what sort of motive, what sort of sub mode of communication, what sort of style of talking mm-hmm. that she should use to talk to her mother about this issue. And then the issue is, of course, immediately forced, right? Because uh, the presence of the need to communicate is in and of itself a communication. You don't have the time to, uh, to, to wait, really, in this sort well, of circumstance. And also, let's not forget that uh, we learned in the last episode that Margot Al-Harazi has CCTV cameras and presumably microphones <laughs> all over all over her, um, her her country estate. Yes, right? yes. And so, you know, um, like, big big mother is watching, Indeed, right? <laughs> indeed, definitely. But I don't know if Simone knows that... Mar- I don't think no. Simone knows that Margot is watching her have no. sex with her husband. No. No. Uh, so, uh, so, so... If you look through the whole episode, I think there's a lot of different times in which some sort of co- active communication tries to take place, but there is something wrong, not necessarily with the content of what is being said, but with the method. It's some sort of issue with the method of what is being said, the words, right? right. Um, as, right. And the words also being kind of an informational, lexical format, yeah. right? If, if words be, are a way to format thought information to communicate it to transmit it from one person to another this is an episode that relies around decryption yeah. uh, the decryption yeah. of the flight key right and so in a, you know to in this sense the the decryption is finding the right words to understand the flight key and then in turn what you're hoping to find on the flight key are the right words to explain to the world the thing that you already know Right, and yeah. you want to have the evidence to tell them this thing you yeah. already know, which is that the drones have been hijacked by Derek Yates's device, uh, and are and are going to launch a full scale attack on London. Yeah, and then I so my scene that I wanted to enter the, with is is actually kind of very complimentary, and it gets at an, another side of the same thing, and it's the scene where um, Jack uh, is uh, is is um, busts in to the holding cell where the drone pilot is. Um, and, uh, and the pilot says to Jack, how do, how do I know I can believe you? And Jack says, son, I believe you from what I can see. No one else does. Right. right? And, the, and so that, um, and, and that th- this is like the first of many times, um, in the episode where Jack and other people, but especially Jack, um, you know, encodes his message, uh, in different different ways to um for in order for it to be credible right so there's there's uh, the one side is if there's a um a a uh you know a theme about uh de uh, kind of decryption and kind of getting you know what you know out there then there's a flip side of that is kind of not necessarily encryption but almost encoding in metadata in ways of delivering messages that make them credible to to the listener and that different there are different sources of credibility um that that are harnessed throughout uh, the episode and you know the one that uh jack uses with uh this guy i mean he's right because the drone pilot never even asks other than him being Jack Bauer, and he does—it's not like he, you know, recognizes Jack Bauer as a household name, but he is the kind of person who is saying something in a kind of authoritative yet understanding way, and that, you know, and 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 that he believes he believes him, and that's that's all it takes, right? And so that there's like these layers of—I mean, in some ways, right—that it actually dovetails really well. It's like he. Jack is credible because he has kind of received the message. He's the only person who has the message that the drone pilot has to send. Um, and so I think these are two scenes that are interestingly um, different uh, uh, sides of this this episode, and we can kind of um, go from there. I mean, so so given these kind of 
paired scenes that get at, at this theme. Um, where else did uh, where else did you see this, or um, you know, what was kind of interesting about this at the more macro level of the episode? Well, the the first thing, the reason that this really drew my attention, and you're, I think you're totally right that that's that's a big part that these scenes are connected to each other. But the the scene that totally got my attention and pointed me towards this idea of finding the words is when Jack is talking to Chloe. Right, mm-hmm. and Jack a- asks Chloe to give him her word. Yeah, right, and, and her word, right, and and so what does that mean? I mean, obviously they're already kind of pot committed at this point. Jack doesn't really have the option to not trust her, um, but this idea that her word is a meaningful thing, and that's something that is consistent across seasons of Twenty Four. The the act of giving your word has a sacred quality that is uh, right. special, and it's never you know it's not the kind of thing that. It's ever really unpacked and questioned. Um, it's it's just it's something that's cultural. It's something that is uh, about character, right? Um, and and those sorts of things don't proceed from first principles, as we know from our uh, from our Edmund Burke and whatnot. But yeah, but so so there's that one where Chloe's word to Jack is important. There is the uh, there's the key card. Right, right. That, where Jack has a key card, and then the key card doesn't work on the door, and he throws the key card on the ground immediately. He's like, "This is key card's useless." Yep. As soon as he finds out that it's delayed, right, and he knows that it's no longer the right way to communicate with the commu- with the uh, with the computers. And then there's um, uh, well, Navid trying to convince Simone to run away with him, right? right. Um, and and her being, you can't, you can't be serious, right? Like these are as wrong as words can get. And, right. and and Navid has no credibility. So so there's one thing where uh, if you're looking for the right in, informational formatting to communicate with somebody or something, um, you have to. Uh, there's a there's an aspect in which whether what you're trying to do is at all plausible that can get lost, right? Like um, I guess that's particularly true in 24. But 24 and 24. I feel like events kind of have an inertia where there are definitely storylines that are supposed to happen and the potential possibilities get narrowed down very far just by the dialogue. Like Jack Bauer often says, it's your only play, right? Right. Just right. like, uh, I think just like Matt said before, <laughs> it's your only play. Yeah. I um, mean, like, listen, we're just gonna, I mean, like, we're just gonna have to, um, wait for this cold brew unless something else gives, right? But there are other options. You could go to Starbucks and you could get a coffee, but please don't because I need you no, on this recap. We don't have time. We don't no. have time to go to Starbucks. All right. Fair enough. Don't, I'm sound... holding it together. Matt, okay. I'm holding it together. I appreciate right? it. Uh, but yeah, but Pete, Pete I'm holding, I don't know. Maybe I'm not holding it together. I just no. told you, Matt. <laughs> so <laughs> this is gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. I'm already starting to flag a little bit and we have not eight and a half more hours of this day to go. So it's going to be a long one, and we're going to get some fun places before it's over. Um, but yeah, so th- th- there's a que- I guess there's a question of whether it matters whether you're right, hmm. is I guess what I would say. Because the other thing is that when Jack, Jack Bauer says to the president, you know, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. I've never lied to you, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and then there, yeah, exactly. So I've never. So and then there's like a history there, mm-hmm. um, and then I think that there is also, um, and and Jack says this, and I think there is actually a version of this um, that happens early in the episode with um, with with uh, Agent Morgan, which uh, is you know Jack when Jack's talking to President Heller, um, they Jack says, oh, you know, President Heller says, oh, you shot. Um, to Marines, and Jack's like, I barely grazed them. And, and the president's, well, how do you know that? And Jack's like, because I pulled the trigger. <laughs> um, and and it's this, and, and that's like this fascinating, like tautology. It's that, because it comes from like some of what we were talking about um, last, you know, an hour ago, um, uh, er, er, you know, earlier today, um, with uh, with with you know Jack being right. And so like because Jack is right, um, his things that he kind of experiences or attempts to do should he believes that they should be credible. Right. And that, that, you know, like I did that. And so that should convey a message and, and you should receive this signal because it's me. Um, and you see this very early episode when, um, when, uh, Kate and Eric, uh, are entering the embassy and they, they're speaking to, um, the Marine, uh, officer and say, listen, we need to, you know, we need to to pursue uh, Jack Bauer, you know, because he, um, you know, he kind of incited this. He shot two people, um, and you no, know, this should be our high priority. They're like, well, how do you know? And they're like, well, we saw it, right? And that, and and and, the, and then it ends there, right? It's, and so rather than 
you know, there are other times in the episode uh, where there's a question of, well, where is the evidence? And so that, you know, in some ways, just a good person or a right person believing the evidence or believing the thing or, or you know, seeing it um, is enough is a source of credibility in some in some ways here. Um, and, and I think this kind of closes you, you actually see, you know, this is the first time first kind of conceptually and then by the end of the episode physically that you see this kind of coming together of Jack and Kate, right? Where she starts the, uh, the way that she starts believing Bauer is that his, she, she starts to, so like another way when she could be credible is by the things that you do being internally consistent with each other. Right. And so that it's like, she, she starts to see what he said to her in the parking garage. Um, and what, um, the drone pilot said and, um, um, and his actions kind of, um, in getting in to the, um, to the embassy and into the, um, digital safe room, um, all seem to be consistent with this story. And so she decides that she believes him and, um, and kind of decides to go rogue in his favor. Um, and, and then it kind of ends with that awesome episode or a uh, shot at the end of the, um, series of shots at the end of the episode where she is physically shielding him. Right. And it's, it's, it's kind of really powerful and very cool. And I think, I mean, that may connect to some other themes, um, that, that we may want to talk about, but I feel like it's this kind of, um, you know, like a consummation of, of, of an arc of being credible. And, you know, it's just the physicality of her putting herself, imposing herself between, um, between Jack and the Marines who want to kill him um, is is very cool and very powerful. Yeah, I love how she invokes her author- the authority of the CIA, yeah. the jurisdiction of the CIA, because if, if this episode is really about what makes words credible and words in- interpreted broadly as information and right. communication, but words in gen- you know in, in a more in a more sort of uh, immediate sense, there's the issue of I like I like how the the Marine commander gives one set of orders to everybody and then a second set of orders to the one guy. Yeah. And also how the Marine commander uh, says to Kate, I have my orders. You know, I'm executing them. Get out, get her out of my face. Right. So that there's this idea that he has words that are credible to him and are credible within the, uh, the ranks and systems of the military, the chain of command of the military. And then she also has words. She has words that she uses to Jack Bauer, the whole, it's your own, she says it's your only play. Right. Which is, you know, of course, very, you know, very much a wink to the audience that she's the Lady Bauer, right? That this is like the Jack Bauer mirror because there's no way that she knows that that's what he always says. I don't think that's a phrase that – I mean I guess people do use it a lot of the time, but – You don't think it, you don't think that like in CIA, CIA slash um, CTU training, that that's like – like that's like counterterrorism 101. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like there's like a lecture uh, on uh, it being your only play <laughs> uh, and then like the next episode is about like you know not having time um and then there's another episode about copying that yes uh, yes <laughs> well that's something i do love about 24 is that catchphrases and and words do tend to cross over from person to person uh, one of my favorites is one of my favorite 24 catchphrases is the sort of very heavy-hearted tony almeida yeah right whenever <laughs> someone explains something to tony almeida he's like yeah <laughs> right and uh and at a certain point in season two or three i think jack starts saying it too like yeah, right, and it's other uh, characters start start popping in there. They say they, I love Jack Bowers. I don't know. Right, he's very sad. Like I don't know. Yeah, when, yeah. when he really doesn't know things, that crosses over to some other people. But yeah, there is the sense that the characters aren't necessarily distinct from each other in terms of the their their linguistic brains. That <laughs> maybe they operate from some sort of hive mind, like a writer's room. But no, but but totally like um that that Kate is using Jack Bauer language with Jack Bauer and she's using government bureaucratic language with the soldiers who only respect the government bureaucratic language. Right. And um, that's like right. a really cool and then of course she's she physically shielding his body with her own body, which I think is one of the wonderful uh, confluences that, that 24 loves to do, which we talked about last week, which was um, taking a situation in a, in a microcosm, macrocosm sense, where the microcosm doesn't necessarily directly correspond to the macrocosm, but it evokes it emotionally. 
Um, right. You know, so like, so Kate physically shielding Jack is similar to her like invoking CIA. It's not that similar to her invoking the authority of her boss to to get Jack like interrogated by the CIA rather than put in prison by the Marines. But in this case, the context of her physically shielding him adds emotional weight and significance to what she's doing. Right. Um, Right. No, definitely. And I think that that's interesting. I mean, that kind of sequence of series of like her interactions with um, the Marines and some of the thing and then that kind of lead in her going going rogue through the uh, the air vent. Right. Well, so first there's like one little bit of there's another piece of kind of communication, which is a little bit off of this theme, but I think is interesting where, you know, that. The Marines, there's several times where the Marines are overheard, right? And so that there's, so, you know, there's like a a flip side, right, of sometimes your messages or information is too clear. It's it's under encrypted, right? So that you you kind of have the, um, like, Chekhov's uh, air duct, uh, yeah, Chekhov's air duct, right, where the Marine captain is like, well, there's this air duct that goes from here all the way into the room, but we're not going to use that. And... (laughs) And it's shot right that he's holding up the plan, and then and then Kate's just like kind of lurking in the middle distance, like like looking at like looking through the back of the plans and internalizing it, right? And it's like if there is an air duct uh, at um you know at 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 two forty uh, at two forty p.m., uh, uh, Kate is going Kate Morgan's going to be shimmying through it at like. 2.52 p.m. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's accelerated. You know, this isn't Chekhov, um, you know, that, uh, but uh, we don't have time for, for three acts. Um, but, uh, and then, then the, the flip side is, you know, that in the uh, Marine kind of saying, well, I'm just following my orders. You know, they then also hear him kind of say um, when he's giving the side order and in some way saying is that, well, you know, this, you know, this bastard is something to the effect of this guy shot at my men. So I want him dead. Right. And so that this guy himself is, there's like a mini, a mini rogue, rogue cycle within this guy. Right. So that, and and it's, but it's this weird thing where he's within the, the actual kind of directive of the law and the letter of the law or of his orders, he's using that to kind of, harmonize with what he wants which is jack bauer dead um and 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 that's like an interesting there's this interesting um part of what's really cool in the um in the kind of judo of this set of scenes is how um how kate ends up turning that around um and and you know and culminating in in her shielding jack and so i think there's uh, that that kind of choreography of of intention and knowledge um is really you know, subtly done and very, very cool. And it's a good kind of case in point of something that 24 does a lot of times. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Have you ever, you've seen uh, man for all seasons, right? I've not. Oh, I've not. Have so, not. So man for all seasons is the, and I'm going to have to watch it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. We don't have time to watch man for all seasons. Um, but there's that, there's a great speech. It's a classic, a classic play and movie about uh, Sir Thomas More the the saint who was executed for refusing to endorse the divorce of Henry VIII. And there's like a well there's he has a, a zealous sort of Protestantish uh like buddy, like younger friend, like uh either like a, a nephew or something. And uh and who who is insisting that, you know, we need to sort of Rather than mount a legal defense, right, and rather than seem to uh, to try to use legal uh, technicalities to protect himself, uh, and rather to try and arguing this in a court of law, we should like sweep aside all of the institutions of the government and the religion, and we should do what we believe is right, which in this case would be, you know, to endorse the divorce or what have you. And and Sir Thomas More talk, uh, talks about how. Um, uh, you know, well, you, yeah, you could, you could cut down all the trees, right? But could you stand in the terrible wind that would blow, right? And this is a metaphor that I think about a lot. Um, and this idea that, um, the Marine captain in the episode of 24, he has his own agenda within the context of being the Marine commander. I don't actually know his office. Is he a lieutenant? I don't even know. Um, but he has his own agenda and you have a sense that he sort of, using his own agenda to influence his actions and he's but he's but he's not going rogue in the sense of he's not leaving the protection of right. the institutions of the marines right? right and he's using them to his advantage by having them empower him to not have to listen to people who are talking to him 
right? Like uh, the whole like the well, right. well, I have orders, so that means that you're you're meaningless to me. Well, right? it's it, it's interesting. So I don't know if there's a different type of rogue going here. That it's kind of a going a rogue, right? So that a lot of the other rogue going that we talk about is when the like the kind of protagonists um, or people that we are you know meant to sympathize with in some way go rogue. That they are kind of following a greater good generally what they kind of their sense of the greater good versus an institutional sense of the greater good and i feel like this and some of um the uh the chief of staff was it tom uh tom's kind of you know pursues you know hit you some mark? kind of mar- mark? Mar- mark yeah, yeah sorry mark mark yeah um Mark pursues – man, this this coffee situation is bad. I don't know. I don't know who anyone is Hang anymore. in there. We'll get you. I'm sure Matt will be done with the coffee this before is, too This long. is not good. I, my, my condition is accelerating at a rate that I had not anticipated. <laughs> I'm, but by the end of this hour, uh, you know, I'm, I, may be, I may be totally incoherent. Um, I'm, just, I'm just putting that out there. Within the end. Uh, so, okay. Does that, does that mean next episode? Anyway. But anyway, continue. Well, we'll continue. just see. I don't right. – I'm not totally sure how – how quickly I'm going to deteriorate. But the point is that um, Mark, uh, that that like the Marine captain, you know, that there is a kind of, you know, that they're both in roles that have orders that ultimately like relate to a chain of command that ultimately like links up to, you know, the constitution of the United States in either more or less directly in each of these cases that itself is, you know, through the, institutions of uh, representative government are supposed to be reflecting some kind of public interest and they kind of have some even it's not doesn't necessarily need to be selfish interests i mean you sometimes get people doing selfish things that are subverting the public interest but sometimes they just think that they know better right that they they feel like uh, and and so it's this really subtle kind of thing because you, as a viewer of um of 24 and through some of these types of like whether it's costuming or dialogue or or cinematography it's pretty easily to intuit who is going rogue by kind of in in the right way and in the in the, by kind of you know escaping the uh, not escaping but jettisoning themselves from the protections of these institutions to to ultimately serve them and to serve a public interest and those who are kind of doing a different kind of rogue while kind of by like kind of being remaining within the formal constraints of the institutions but kind of pursuing something at odds with it and and i feel like those are these two different and i don't know if we have a terminology yet for the the second kind of rogue going the kind of the ways in which kind of bad guys or annoying guys tend to go rogue um but it seems to be like similar to but uh but kind of different in kind from what we were discussing a lot um uh like an hour ago yeah um it, it is. It's it, the difference between the Marine Captain and Mark in terms of what you're talking about is Mark signs he forges the president's signature, right? Right. On the document that yeah. the document which is still in play, which is an executive order to remand Jack Bauer to the Russians for interrogation. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be coming like pretty relevant, like in the next five minutes in twenty four yeah. right? <laughs> Yes. Exactly. Somebody's going to find it, and someone's going to be executing it, and Mark's going to like regret that he ever did it, right? And it's like, no, we and need his, him. And his wife's going to be really mad at him. Yep, yep, yep. And then it's like, oh no, what's going to happen? Or maybe he can't tell anyone, he gets in too deep. Whereas the Marine captain never really does anything that violates the chain of command um, in, a, in a major way, right? Like, the, the kid doesn't end up murdering Jack Bauer, but even if he did, it would still be within the, the bounds of, of rules. And I, I think that, um, that... I think the kid thinks about murdering Kate to get to murder <laughs> Jack Bauer. Like, there's this moment where he's like... Yeah, but he... the kid is following orders. And I yeah. think the point is that yeah. if the Marine captain hadn't invoked the chain of command to get rid of Kate the first time around, if the Marine captain had made it clear that the chain of command didn't matter anymore, then Kate claiming the protection of the CIA and the jurisdiction of the CIA in protecting Jack from the Marines wouldn't mean anything. But yeah. because the the chain of command has been preserved, then she gets to use it too. And that's the whole man for all seasons thing is that like, you know, yes, the, the trees are standing and the trees prevent you from getting at the devil, but they also stop the wind from blowing you off your feet, right? They they serve both good and and, and ill, these institutional barriers yeah. and these yes, ways of exactly. controlling behavior. Yes, I think that's um, a good way. And that, that and I think that's like, and that's kind of present in the, the these two thing, two sides of kind of institutions are very present in the twenty four universe and kind of um, and so it's interesting to kind of that's a good um, 
conceptual frame or kind of a good um like you know general idea that kind of um ties together a lot of what we see throughout um throughout the series yeah so speaking of uh people doing kind of unexpected nefarious things in in 24 how much i want to make a prediction I want to make a prediction. Sure. Um, so my prediction is that the decryption program that Adrian Cross got running on Chloe's terminal to help Jack decrypt the flight key is in fact a program that decrypts and publicly disseminates all the files on a given computer. And that's why it was taking so long. And that what's going to happen is Kate is going to install, is going to try to run this program on the CIA mainframe, and it is going to start releasing all the documents at the CIA to the entire world. Uh, That's a wonderful guess. (laughs) My guesses have been entirely wrong so far, by the way. Well, you haven't had to... I don't know if you've any had any guesses that have come due, right? Yeah. The, the guesses guesses in twenty four are like checks that you that you write, and and then something when big irreversible things happen, you know, like somebody dies or there's a big turn, that's when they get like cashed, and 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 you see whether or not they bounce. And I, so I don't know if any of your guess checks um, <laughs> have uh, have bounced yet. Have, have any of them been cashed yet? Um, I know. Or- I mean, I guess it is possibly still. Still, the case that the the prime minister might be working with Catelyn Stark, but considering that she's going to blow up his house, uh, probably probably not. Yeah, but there are people possible. like inside people um, and moles who have like I mean, the best mole is one who like looks like they are putting themselves at the most risk, right? right and right. so I like until like like the prime minister dies in, in a a like fiery drone strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, your your guest check has not yet been cashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still it's still out there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So somebody else. Some. So okay. So a couple more examples of words, right? Of using the right words to talk to people. Yeah. There's the really interesting moment where Jack is at one hand he's talking to the Marines about how he's going to kill the hostages. Yes. And the other yes. hand he's talking to the hostages about how he's not going to kill them. Yep. He's no intention of harming them. Yeah. Uh, and he modulates really, really clearly back and forth between these two intentions. They had some really solid acting by Keith Sutherland to make these like differentiations like super duper clear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah. No. I mean, I, I I noticed it as well. Um, and I mean, I think that it's a few things, right? That it's this really awesome piece of you know of of meta acting, right? So that Kiefer Sutherland acts as Jack Bauer acting to be a like like a hostage taker. Yes. Um, and and that he has been in enough of these situations that he knows what kind of language and phrasing and tone are going to be credible for that. And um and so he and so he does that. And then also, and this is something I think we can return to as well, he does that and couples it with action, right? That he couples it with firing on the Marines. Um, and, and I think that there is another, you know, the one, the one other kind of um, uh, uh, words couple, made credible through action is, um, is, is uh, the, let's call it the pinky, the pinky wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and because because Catelyn Stark was at both of those, um, what guess, a word that is, huh? Oh, geez, the word uh, that is the cutting off of that finger with a chisel and hammer. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So let's let's get back to that because I think that that's also this riveting scene. Um, but I think that so that because um, I think that this scene with Jack, um, the kind of two two level scene between kind of Jack messaging to the Marines, I am a I'm a crazy guy who's taken hostages and then like messaging to the um you know messaging to the hostages that no no I'm a good guy and I think that what's I guess interesting there is that even though he's very can he, that he does modulate well and and we see more like the tenderest possible side of of real jack that it, I think what's interesting and this is is that his attempts to make his message credible to the marines has made have made him less credible to the hostages, right? That even even if he's like, yeah, it's totally fine. Then he just seems like a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, what do you mean? You just shot at those Marines, and 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 you know, you know, it being him who pulled the trigger means nothing to the people that he's pointing a gun at. Um, and so it's it so it's interesting that that you don't have complete flexibility. So that you know, Jack, you know, um, kind of speaks and tries to 
reframe his messaging and and tone um, in different ways, right? To the drone pilot, um, to the people he's taken hostage, to um, the Marines, and to President Heller um, in ways um, that will make him credible. But sometimes the ways in which you encode these and either the way in which they are overheard uh, or especially with like words plus action are overheard and seen means that you can't be credible in two arenas at the same time because they're because these things are visible to multiple people and and they can't then be consistent right gets back to the kind of consistency principle of how jack became credible to um to to kate um and it it has to do uh has to do with how much of the information a given audience has seen or not seen Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I also think that it's it's part and parcel. It's part of why this episode is so dramatic. Because I, I was definitely thinking about I was thinking about uh, David Mamet's letter to the writers of the unit. Do you remember reading that? I, I've I've I remember you guys talking about <laughs> reading it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's talked been, about on 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 various overthinking it podcasts, and yeah. and I've either I've I've. I think disgusted in real life. I may have seen it um, or skimmed it over, but I've definitely heard it discussed and described and paraphrased by you guys more times than I have um, read it myself. Okay, well, we'll add it but, to the uh, no, show. No, no, but I'm just saying it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of canonical, right? It's a piece of the uh, overthinking it canon. Yes, it definitely is. It definitely is, and it's really Im- important to 24. Um, I'll, I'll read, and it's pretty long. We'll put a note in the show notes. But we don't have time to read. We don't all. have time for read it. Um, so it's okay. So I'm going to read an excerpt from it. Um, let's see. It's uh, – let's see. The, um, how does one strike the balance between withholding and vouchsafing information? That is the essential task of the dramatist. And the ability to do this is what separates you from the lesser species in their blue suits. Um, let's see. Just to not to not peruse this whole thing, well, the main thing that he's saying is that in, in action scenes – it's not enough merely to express with vehemence the stakes and the necessary actions that are taking place. That in a dramatic scene that creates tension, that there needs to be a specific goal that the, that the hero, he uses the word hero, is trying to accomplish. The hero in every scene, um, that we have to know who, what they want, what happens if they don't get it, and why now. And the thing that really strikes me about it is that he then says that the hero doesn't get what they want in a scene. Right, like every scene must be dramatic. Here it is: the every scene must be be dramatic. Uh, the main character must have a simple, straightforward, uh, pressing need which impels him to show up in the scene. It is what the scene is about. Their attempt will get the attempt to get this need met will lead at the end of the scene to failure. This is how the scene is over. It it this failure will then of necessity propel us into the next scene. Yeah. So so this that's like a that's a huge piece of of theory craft. Right about how to how to write drama, and twenty four propels so quickly from scene to scene, and it's interesting to think and then about from episode to episode. Right? Yeah, definitely, and it's interesting to think about. Yes, Jack Bauer is very competent, but he fails all the time. There's so many little failures in this episode that propel somebody from scene to scene, and that's one of the reasons why, for me, the line that really summed it up was the line about you're trying to find the words to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Then the idea is that it's difficult, and and it's difficult to do this, and Part of why this is natural is the gap between the desire to communicate knowledge to someone and the means that a given discursive system provide to us to get that across, right? Like words, you know, there there's a – I'm not going to say a finite system because you can get all Chomsky on me and expand it. But there are there is a system that has its own topography and that has its own, you know, like hills and valleys. And, and the, the language that you speak is going to affect what and how you can say the thing that you're saying, right? right. Also, the person that you're talking to. And then also, there is many kind of meta words in this in, – or other kinds of words that aren't in a conventional language like the encryption codes, like right. uh, the, the finger being cut off, which we'll get back to real soon. Like Jack using his gun as a communication device to tell Kate not to come in through the vents or to get, make the Marines stop uh, from storming the building or to get into the building in the first place. His shooting is, is a, like a lexical act to yeah. Jack. Yeah. And so this is a, an episode where there's a lot of failures to get across exactly what it is you're trying to say, or at least a failure of being understood, or as you've been saying over and over again, a failure of credibility. 
Right. Right. And that there's that there's a that credibility and words and all operate in kind of systemic systematic relationship with one another. Right. Um, one does not necessarily give you know seamlessly give rise to the other, but one hopes that the two arrive in alignment with one another. Right. right. Um, and, and, and in fact, like a lot of the you know the the action kind of conceptually in this episode, in addition to kind of narratively, is about that gap between the words and their credibility, right? Yeah. And so that, that needs to be filled in with something else, whether that's adopting a persona, speaking a certain way, taking a given action, yeah. um, and, or, or um, kind of invoking laws and institutions, right? We, we see different sides of, of how that gap is bridged and how it's bridged more or less uh, successfully. Yeah. Although it's interesting to think about the the very last scene, which is again this moment, I keep coming back to it, of Kate standing over Jack's body, pr- yeah. like protecting him with the authority of the CIA. Um, it almost feels like the Marines are the hero of that scene, and that the scene is about the Marines failing. Because we've seen so many scenes in which the police are going to storm the hostage or the soldiers are going to storm the hostage situation, right? And then, and, and that's a, there's a, there's a visual vocabulary to it that we're pretty familiar with. And that really what Kate has done is not so much, there's an element of triumph to it. I mean, I think this is probably what makes it beautiful is that it's doing both at the same time. There's a sublimity to it. Yeah. Where on one hand, there's a story where the Marines are trying to storm this hostage situation and Jack has been playing a role in that by playing the role of the evil hostage taker, right? And they're the heroes of the story. Story, and it's very dramatic for them because they lose, right? right? But on the other hand, Kate is also sort of a hero of her own story, and she has this moment of sublime triumph, right? right. This this like this, this like Renaissance statuary quality triumph, right? Where yeah. it's just like this uh, this uh, uber dramatic image uh, in ensconced in these uh, idealized bodies. Um, but yeah, and it's interesting to think through all the times that people are trying to get their their word across. Because I was thinking about the finger, right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about the yeah. finger, and I was thinking about the finger as a dramatic act, and uh, it's a dramatic act because um, Simone doesn't get what she wants in this scene, and Navid right. doesn't get what he wants in this scene, right? Navid definitely doesn't get what he wants, but you start the scene thinking that Navid is going to try to hold out, and – I mean you start the scene thinking that Navid's going to try to hold out, and then the girl's going to be tortured, right? And uh, you kind of wonder whether she's going to be in on it. Maybe it's going to be an act. I mean, that's what I thought, is that, like, well, the mother's clearly going to bring the girl in and torture her. This is 24. That's what's going to happen. And right. I'm sort I mean, of, yeah. this is, like, actually a pretty... It's about the... I mean, it'd be interesting to actually um, to look at of how many hours in each day of 24 does it take for the first torture appearance to happen. Yeah. Well, it um, happened with, with Chloe in, like, the very first episode of this season. Oh, right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it yeah. took, like, it took 15... No, it took, like, an hour, right? Because yeah. I think that that reveal was pretty near the end of the yeah, first hour. Good right? point. Good point. Yep. Um, yeah. So it took yeah. like an hour. Well, yeah. so, but like, yeah, charting, I mean, that would be not impossible to do is chart the, like the, the first incidents and then the frequency of torture in each season, in yeah. each day of 24. One thing that I really wanted to chart in, in each day of 24 that I really just should have done. Um, it isn't in every season, but I wanted to chart the sunrises. Because hmm. the sunrises in 24 are – I'm like getting chills saying it – are beautiful, especially if you're binge-watching it and you've watched like 10 episodes and like – and it's <laughs> and been the, dark. The, the real sun is rising. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like some of the best moments in the show are sunrises because one of the things that they love to do is uh, um, is is like – and we're not going to see a sunrise this season because it's going to end at midnight. Um, well, not necessarily because I think that we've been told that it – or I, so it's possible that there may be like time may elapse. Oh, um, like this, Jack will go to sleep. Yeah, Jack will – wake up like four there, there, hours later. It will be a Jack nap. Oh, interesting. That, that yeah. might be interesting. That might actually have interesting stakes for our real-time recap. Yeah, like I might be, I might be able to get my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it might bias the time necessary to complete the cold brew, but who knows? Yeah. But there's this, make- there's a great moment when uh, one of the seasons, the early seasons, like I think it's either season two, maybe season two, where where Jack is like chasing a guy up the stairs and like kicks out the boards in this like old rooftop entrance, and the light streams in, and it's mm-hmm. the first light of the sunrise. And then there's this other scene in one of the best episodes of Twenty Four ever, which is the one where um, the terrorist 
Chris make Jack execute his annoying boss at the train yard. Do you remember yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, where they, that's so tense, that whole episode, where they walk out of the big doors on the rooftop helipad of CTU, and it's just bright. It's just the sun is out, and it's the first sun that you've seen in the whole season. Um, so I hope that there's a sunrise, because 24 sunrises are gorgeous things. Uh, but there's a lot that you could chart kind of systematically throughout 20. Yeah, yeah. But sorry, um, you were you, before that, that brief digression, you were kind of were, were talking about um, what you were expecting to happen in this scene and then what actually happened and what made it so dramatic. Yes, yes. And the idea is that we ex- there's an expectation that Simone is in some way going to kind of be in control of what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the big surprise is the degree to which she's really not. Yeah. Right. Like, and not only is she really not in control, but it's like super not okay what happens to her. Right. Like, the yeah. mother crosses like a ridiculous line with Simone. Um, unnecessarily, most likely, but I suppose, you know, one, one does not, one does not own a house that nice by taking half measures. Uh, right. But, <laughs> <laughs> She's not in the terrorist business. She's in the she's in the empire business. <laughs> she's in the the British Empire business. Yes, right. Um, but yeah, but this idea that this the scene these scenes are surprising. People talk about the show like it's a dumb show, but the scene is surprisingly complex because it starts out as you know Navid as a scene between Navid and Margot, where Navid is going to try to convince Margot to that he's you know he's going to hold out against Margot's attempts to stop him from pilot uh, Margot's attempts to get him to pilot the drones, and then it's a reversal to Margot, and the scene ends up being about Simone. Right, and so like you cycle through the relationship between Navid and Margot, between Margot and and Simone, between Navid and Simone, right, and like um, the other guys get involved. Like I think one yeah. of the things that really makes the scene is the men like really forcibly pulling Margot over. Um, and we've talked a lot or, about or Simone. You mean? I'm oh, sorry, pulling Simone over. Yeah, uh, we've talked in the Game of Thrones recaps about sort of like gratuitous violence against women and how it's stupid. Um, we don't need to get into Game of Thrones here, but I don't think it was stupid here. I think it was really important because right. we really we needed to see. Margot's people who've been referenced earlier right. right that my mother has people and my mother's people are going to do things well and right? I think what, but what's interesting here is that she I mean I mean, one thing I thought about is like well she must have had it's not I, it, it didn't seem to be that it was just like these guys were like crazy guys who just like she just happened to let do these things but rather there was like this was choreographed right that, that yeah. they had a there there is a game plan um it was either <laughs> choreographed or is like mapped out like a football play uh an yeah. american it's their only play, football play in fact what's that it's their only play yeah it's their <laughs> only play it's the uh <laughs> blue blue pinky 42 um <laughs> And and but it's amazing because she just like steps forward and they like both move into action right. It really is like you know this. They move in real time where the one guy goes to hold Navid back and the other um, grabs Simone. And and I, that was the thing I wrote. It's like wow. I like you know while while other things were happening, she had this like little a powwow with with them. Uh, either that or they they like like they've practiced this. They just know that this is like one of the things in their repertoire yeah. <laughs> because it just happens immediately with this immediacy and it doesn't seem to be you know that you know that they are just these in other i don't know if this happens in 24 other ways oh no yeah we were talking about this um uh like an hour ago where sometimes people are are threatened you know that kind of terror works or the threat is is made credible by just allowing someone to do what they want to do otherwise right that um having basher uh you know the threat be the other the other gang that like wants to hurt him mm. right and then that, that you know i'm just going to not protect you from these guys but this is very different this is much more um you know that Margot is is in control here and she is the one kind of um controlling this uh these these guys and using that then by you know proxy to um control uh navid and then incidentally to Get him to control drones. Yes, um, that, that there, there's this interesting you know, that she talks about him. You know, that that if one of the things that drones are is kind of being, and we, and we may have talked about this um, earlier today. I, it's it's you know getting very blurry already. But that you know a lot of with drones, the action is in, in remote control and the, the kind of controlling something and not being there. And so you kind of see this interesting arc of remote control. Even though they're in the same room, there's a long arc of of um, of control uh, that that is that is being set up of of exercising um, influence and pressure on on Navid. And I think the fact that it happens under such close quarters um, 
and and in in such you know immediacy um, makes it extremely powerful. And you kind of see, like you say, these um, there are just all of these. There's both um, there. You know, I we're, we're using choreography, and it's both in how people actually move, and in just the the way that um, that focus passes between each character. Um, and it happens very quickly in a way that creates this, this space. Um, and and I don't know if I have quite the dramatic, um, vocabulary to express it, but, um, that you, you, through the, the, um, choreography of the scene and and the, the way that it's shot, the choreography, the movement of the camera, um, you feel these, this focus pass, um, many different times and through many different, um, you know, permutations of, um, of, of characters, uh, and kind of pairs and triangles of characters, uh, in a way that is, yeah, it's really, it's, 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 it's quite beautiful, and it's it's um, something that you know, like you say, is easy to overlook in twenty four. Yeah, um, and makes me glad that we are you know it, as grueling as this day is, we're doing important work. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you. Listen, I gave you my word, Pete. Oh, that that means a lot to me, man. That means yeah, a lot to me. Look, I gave you my word. I've never we're, lied we're, to you. I've, I've never lied to you, and I've always told the truth. That's great. That's excellent. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, but of course, this this very thing you've described, even though people don't attribute it to 24, 24 hits you on the head with it at the end of every episode, where they do their 24 dream ballet, right? Where it's like, uh, where they show you the split screen of all the different characters, yeah. uh, and there's that suspended moment. Although, I don't, do they do that in this episode? Um, I don't. I actually don't think no, so. They, I, I was. Yeah. That's what actually part of what made um, the um, heroic Kate, um, the the um, uh, standing over Jack, really striking is that they didn't. I was expecting it to happen for there, there, for there to be a little more, and there wasn't. Right. right? right and right. So they actually broke the pattern. They jump right into it, and it, but yeah. we know the usual pattern, right? Which is that they cut back and forth to the different plots that are transpiring, and there's a moment where the the music is going and the clock is going, and then it's like, which one is it gonna be, right? And it's like sometimes it's one of the four that's on the on the. Uh, on the screen, and sometimes it's a different one that's not on the screen. And then sometimes, like, Nina's not dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's from, what, season one, I think, Yeah, right? Or yeah. Is, is season one or season two? Nina, there's several times when Nina's not dead. It's, it's <laughs> It recurs. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that there's a first one that, which I think is, like, in... Oh, that must be in season two, where you get, like, a live yeah. Nina. Um, yeah. Oh, I forget. Yeah, you're, it happens several times. But it's one of the there's a a Nina's not dead that which is one of the first really notable like what I like to call the um the non sequitur cliffhanger yeah right? that that you have you you know the, the the dream ballet you know purports to tell you everything that is happening right here is even though you know at um you know that uh you know it's usually broken into like three or four screens because there's four threads that are going and which is interesting because in the world in general there are like you know, infinite, th- infinite things happening at a given point in time, but it kind of focuses you on here's what's important. And so then that, that's what makes then the cut to either a, a, a fifth or sixth um, uh, box that you haven't been looking at really uh, striking or something unexpected happening in one of those uh, is really, um, is really intense. And, you know, when you're watching um, them on DVD, it's what makes you then hit play. And that's how you get eight episodes in a row. That's how you see the real sunrise as, uh, as Jack's sun rises, because these, um, you know, it's amazing at um, building these. And it's, it's, again, it's the, it's a, it's a kind of a macro, a macro mammoting, right. That, um, that you think that there's some kind of, you know, resolution or want and then something crazy happens that is like you know that i guess that or is it, so it's even not, not a macro mammoting but a meta mammoth right that you the um the viewer want something which is a resolution to the episode to the hour um of television that you've watched and then you don't get that mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. because somebody is is dead or not dead um uh in in a way that that you expect and so actually i mean again this is actually really interesting though because this isn't this feels like there's almost like a a i mean the the kind of tension or the the something not being had that someone wants is only implied right it's you know that there there is this moment where kate saves um jack and that you know it only feels unresolved there's not a new cutaway or thing revealed so it's only unresolved 
in so far as we know that this, um, you know, this executive order, this extradition order to Russia is out there. No, um, it's, it's also unresolved if you think of the Marines as the protagonists. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, exactly. And that's – but I think that – yeah. No, I, yeah, that's a that, – But, but right, from the perspective of Kate, there is this other thing that's out there. Yeah. Right. Well, because I, I think this happens in a couple of other well, – I was thinking of a couple other scenes in the episode. I think this happens all the time in 24 where the their show is playing a trick on you and it creates dramatic tension by – projecting the protagonist of the story role onto a different character than the one that you expect. Uh, and the scene that the first scene that comes to mind that does this is the is the key card scene, which I said before, he's like, the key card is useless. Right. Right. So like the scene starts with Jack, you know, running down the hallway, he goes down to the door. The door is big and heavy and difficult to move, so we don't have to have, to have – there's even rivets on it. There doesn't even have to be any dialogue. The door is made to make it look like it's unbreakable. He tries the card once. It doesn't work. He's like, the place is locked down. The key card is useless. Then we cut to Chloe, who is trying – and again, this is an issue of words and credibility – words and, and what words are appropriate for the situation trying to find the right words where he's like where she's like I don't see another way I don't think you understand you're not getting out of there it's over they're going to put you in prison yep right and so this is like this is really intense because this is not the kind of thing that Chloe generally says like it's over Jack like it's all over Um, and she seems to really mean it and it's interesting because then Jack looks up and you have the shot of the wires Right? right, the wires that run along the ceiling, and you're thinking, "Oh, do they lead to a way out of the building?" And Jack reveals, "No, they lead to the communications bunker." And he's going to go to the communications bunker, right? right? And so there's there's two. If we're thinking of this in sort of mammoth terms, in mammoth unit terms, then uh, in mammoth units, then um, <laughs> then uh, then there's two frustrations that are happening. One is that Jack has given up on getting out of this alive, right? Or or like out of this w- with his freedom, right? For the right. at the very least. But the other is that. Chloe has been unsuccessful in in like maintaining control over the situation with Jack. Right. And that she's trying to communicate to him something and she's the one who's failing. So at the very end of the scene, the focus is thrown to her. And as Jack continues onward, then Chloe is the one who's left like with the dramatic tension and frustration because it's like, well, what's going to happen? Right. Right. Um, Right. Similarly, the scene where Jack breaks into the the pilots uh, where he's being held. Right, and he and he like gets the pilot to tell him about the flight key, and he takes the flight key and he leaves, and he's like, "You're gonna be okay, right?" Right now, from in Mammoth units, there's not much drama in that scene because Jack goes into the room, beats up the guy, gets what he wants, and leaves. Right, like there's no, there's not really a meaningful obstacle. Like he has to convince the guy, but he wins. Right? right, so like, why? What propels it forward into the next scene? On one hand, in Jack's sense, there's a little bit of a kind of a kaizura because when he says you're going to be okay, there's like a brief moment of relief that's being worked into the script. But on the other hand, the protagonist of the scene gets thrown to the pilot. Right, it's from the pilot's perspective. The pilot, you're, the, most of the scene is shot from the pilot's perspective, right. looking at Jack. Right, and the pilot is like, I want to get out of here. Or like I want, I I want to have my name cleared, or I want to understand what's happening to me. I want someone to believe me, whatever it is. And this guy comes in, he does all this stuff, and there's this promise that there's going to be some sort of change. And at the end, it's frustrated because he leaves and right. he says you're going to be okay, but you don't really believe him, right. right? So like a lot of the time, the dramatic tension in 24, hmm. it seems like I've often described 24 as like as constant exposition during action sequences where right. someone is just always describing what's happening. But it actually has more dramatic tension than that. And I think that part of – I think it's ensemble nature in which it, it gets downplayed because Jack Bauer is such an awesome character and such a central presence. But there's a way in which 24 is also like scenes about people next to Jack Bauer. Right. Right. And, and, you, and you scan – there's a huge number of them in every season and you, you go from one to the other and you sort of see their lives in relation to Jack's. And a lot of the time – the dramatic tension and the dramatic motion in a scene that Jack is heavily involved in only gets to happen because it gets thrown. The focus gets thrown to somebody else. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely right. So there's this kind of like, I mean, that's, that's cool. Cause there's this like, there's, there's like, again, many, there's like uh, the Russian dolls of like this mammoth, like, like dramatic tension. Um, and, and so there's almost this, what I, in my mind, what I was calling it as you were describing it is kind of cross mammoting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's hard because like, I think mammoting, there are other kinds of ways to describe mammoting that have to do with dialogue style. But I think that though, given this kind of specific, you know, mammoth theory of dramatic tension, um, I think that you're, you're absolutely right that this is a really useful tool 
that um that illuminates um a lot of it's another useful uh, piece of our toolkit to um bring to um to to the 24 universe indeed indeed oh man i am feeling really tired now i mean because that was i mean we we just we pushed hard for an hour i mean like 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 as jack you know, pushed hard, and you know, then you do you feel even if something is unfulfilled from the point of view of the Marines, you know that there is this at the end of um of 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 this episode, there's this kind of you know breath ah, a breathe out, and I'm feeling I'm feeling that right now. I mean, I you know I I when Matt burst in, you know I, you know I I I, I felt like you know first scared and then relieved and then enthralled with our um you know our task at hand but now i'm 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 feeling i'm you know pete i have a, I have a headache i have to tell you i have a really bad caffeine withdrawal headache oh okay um well i have some tylenol that i can get i can no that's not that's not gonna work this is this is serious it's 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 well past that pete well, well I, no I, but i, I can get i have all a number of painkillers, and I mean, I can brew some tea. Uh, I mean, we can have that going because we have to comment on the next episode. Like the, oh. the twenty four isn't taking Memorial Day off like Game of Thrones is. It's going to keep going, right? Like, and so like, there's going to be another episode. And start, and we're going to start commenting on it like immediately. No, you know, you know what, Pete? Listen, I I appreciate this, but I'm going rogue on this episode. Wait, what? And I'm I'm I've got to go get coffee. All right, I'm I'm out of here. I will. I'll, what? I'll, I'll 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 see you later. I'll 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 come. I'll I'll, I'll communicate in by com. All right. I'll what? go I'll go mobile or what? something. But all right. Bye, Pete. Wow. Um. Well, I guess that was his only play. So we have a minute or two here before the episode is over. Uh, I guess I'm going to be alone here for a while, and then I guess once this episode is over, I'll be alone during the beginning of the next episode too. Um. So let's go over some of the ticking clocks that are out there. Uh, let's let's not forget that the supply run to uh, Margot's house is happening between five and five thirty. That was told to us this episode that like the van that Navid can get into the back of or what have you and flee Margot's place is leaving between five and five thirty, which is uh, two hours. So it's not next episode, not the episode after that, but the episode after that that um, there's going to be an attempt that somebody can use to sneak in or out of Marco's compound uh, using the delivery service. There's also the executive order to remand Jack from the Russians. That's another ticking clock that's out there. There's the flight recorder, which has the encryption program from Cross, uh, and that's going to the CIA office in London, which is uh, already kind of beaten up. Um, gosh, how am I going to do this by myself? I mean, what would Jack Bauer do? I don't know.